Hello, and welcome to episode 41 of the Posecast. Rabbi Shmuel Posner, myself, Seth Hellman. Rabbi, how are you doing today? Baruch Hashem, fine. How are you? Baruch Hashem, very good. Thank you. Okay. So, here's the update of the life of RSP on the road. So, Matt Sheafar, anybody who's been to Chabad House from Mel. 09 to 2015, we know who he is. Went to law school, very involved in the Chabad house from Los Angeles, Persian. He was our Gabai. Great guy. Anyway, he got married on Sunday. Mazel tov. Mazel so tov. I went to his wedding because I, I've been driving him crazy to get married for the past 12 years. <laughs> so I finally went to his wedding. Quite an event, quite an event. So I flew out on Sunday from Boston to LA, 10 o'clock flight, and uh, came back last night. So I spent I spent Monday, I had arranged a few meetings with some alumni, as you'll soon see. <clears throat> so I stayed up to Monday and flew back on the, on the red eye, which is, that's uh, interesting. But one of the things I can tell you is walking in LA, the sun is shining, it's not <laughs> hot, it's just warm. It's like, oh man, this is crazy. So I went out to eat with somebody. So let's sit outside. Let's sit inside a building. Amazing. And then when, as the plane is coming to land in Boston, I'm like, ugh. It's like <laughs> little, little snow. It's like dark and cloudy. And I come outside, and it's cold, like, oh, man. I understand why people live in warm climates. It makes sense. I understand the, the taiva for L.A. and for Miami. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, you, you're looking at two different sides of things, though, right? I mean, L.A. is the dry heat, and you're constantly in danger of a wildfire. And Miami, it feels <laughs> like you're going to get suffocated by the humidity, so... So I understood that. I understand that. And I had the opportunity or the luxury of enjoying it for a day and a half and then going home. Right. Coming back to Boston. But the day and a half, I definitely think it's very recommendable if you can. I mean, flying there and flying back in two days is like, especially that yeah. night flight is really horrible. It's ugh, whatever. But it was a good trip because Hashem runs the world. So you get on a plane 10 o'clock in the morning, going to LA, there's got to be some Jews on the plane, right? Right, exactly. And perhaps a gentleman who didn't put on tefillin. Maybe, maybe more than one. So I felt that was my obligation, my opportunity, my mitzvah. So I'm looking around the plane and, you know, I'm not going to walk up and down the aisle, hey, you Jews want to put on tefillin. It's like, it's, you know, it's too, too weird. It's too... It's too, too confined of an area, and probably most of them aren't Jewish. So I saw one guy down the aisle, a few seats. I said, ah, he looks like maybe at this a shtickle. He walked by me, and he smiled a little bit. So I walked over and said, hi, where are you from? An older guy. He's from Lebanon. Okay, so now i got to work the Jew, the, the Jew line into it. I said, Lebanon. There's Jews in Lebanon. He said, oh, yeah, there's a lot of Jews there. There was some synagogues. There's maybe one synagogue there still. So, oh, you know about the synagogues? Yeah, I know about the synagogue. Are you Jewish? 
No. Mm-hmm. Uh. <laughs> so when I got onto the plane, my seat was 24 C. I think it was 24. Anyway, the aisle seat. I always get the aisle seat so I can get up and, and walk around the shtickle. Mm-hmm. So as I'm coming to the seat, I see that the guy at the window seat is sleeping. That means he got on the plane, it's like conked out, turned the switch off, and he's sleeping. And he's wearing sunglasses. I couldn't tell what he is. Because he's a tall guy. And then this guy in between us was a short guy, who I found out later on, at the end of the flight, we started talking. He's up from Malaysia. He lives in Cambridge, he's going home to Malaysia. So this guy slept for four hours out of the five-hour flight. And then finally he opens his eye. He, he wakes up. Mm-hmm. Wakes up. He's got to get up. He has to go to the bathroom, get the coffee. Yeah, da, 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 da. Well, so we all had to get up. Because I'm in, I'm in the aisle seat. Malaysia's next to us. Meantime, Malaysia goes to the bathroom. And, and uh, window seat comes back. I sit down. I said, where are you from? Where are you going? He said, oh, I'm on my way to Hawaii, to Honolulu. You're on my way back to Honolulu. So I said, oh, my friend, my classmate is a, is a rabbi in Honolulu. He says, Chabad. Uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so we start talking about the Rebbe and this and that. And somebody said, and the Rebbe wanted people to do mitzvahs every opportunity. And in fact, I have my tefillin here. Do you want to put on tefillin? He said, sure. So he, he has, he, he, I think, his, yeah, his parents had moved from Buffalo to Israel and came back and were there for like, I think he said seven years and came back when his mother was six months pregnant with him. So he was born in the United States. So he had, we were talking to Israel and talking this whole thing. So we're going to Honolulu. Why, why are you there for surfing? I so you surf all day? So no, I have a job during the day, but before the job and after the job, he goes surfing. All right, whatever, he's got his thing. So he, then he says to me, I said, you know, I have to take your jacket off to put on the film on your arm. He says, oh, you, I want you to know I'm not a traditional Jew. I said, there's no such thing as Jew doesn't get any type of description. You're a Jew, you're a Jew. But then he takes his jacket off and he has tattoos from his risk all the way to the shoulder. I said, I figured maybe that's what he meant, not traditional, but I didn't make a big, I didn't even say anything about it. I didn't care. So he put on tefillin. And I was really excited that he put on tefillin. It's like, this is like the last hour of the flight. Meanwhile, Malaysia comes back and I got to explain to him that I'll be sitting, I, to, I was sitting in his seat because there he is. So he, he's back in his aisle seat, putting on tefillin. So I told him, and Malaysia was very nice. He was, he was, I said, we're doing a little prayer. He, he didn't know what it was, but he was cool with it. There he is. And oh, the picture, you think, oh, for sure, I want to take a picture with him. That's true. But he said, I got to take a, I got to take a picture to show him, to send to my father. I'll be really happy. Hmm. So that's, I think that's a powerful thing. Guys, he's 41 years old. <clears throat> he's still sending pictures to his father to make his father happy or doing things, knowing his father. I think that's such a powerful thing that here he is, he knows that his father it will be happy if he puts on tefillin. You know, that, that takes a, and that's a beautiful thing. When you raise your children, you think, oh, they're not so observant, this and that, but here he is. He's, has, he's thinking about his father and puts on tefillin. 
So then we talked about the Chabad rabbi there, Rabbi Kaziansky, Itchel Kaziansky, my, my classmate. Schmoozed around a little bit. And before I left, I put him, I, have, I, I took a little bag to keep filling in, none of my, you know, just to have with me on, on, on board. And I, I put him a in. I put him a so I said to him, Ruben, do you have a mezuzah? He said, no, I don't have a mezuzah. I said, I gave him a mezuzah. He said, you know how to put it up. If you don't know exactly how to do it, go to Chabad.org. And he was so happy. He such a big smile. He was so happy. That was with him now. So now comes the Hashem, Gahashgacha Pratis. I come home this morning, and in the mail, in the mail came an invitation to a wedding. You know whose wedding? The son of Rabbi Krasiansky in Honolulu. Wow. Like, oh, How about wow. that? Shem, I got it. So I got it. I'm going to have to call. I'm going to. It reminded me to call. I told I told the guy to go to the restaurant. They, they have a restaurant there. He said, oh, I go to the restaurant because it's an Israeli restaurant. You got to support Israel. I said, Why don't you go there? Find the rabbi. Tell him I sent you and uh, give him regards. Put on film with him. So that was pretty cool. That made like the, then I knew, you know, every time you go on a long trip, I'm flying to California, you have to go to a wedding. Then I'm flying back the next night. It's like, oh man, is this the right thing to do? So when, when this guy put on the phone, he had no idea how happy he made me. <laughs> and they were like, okay, this is meant to be. It's, it's amazing. It's fantastic. The Hashem is so kind to us. He allows us to do these mitzvahs to know that we're in the right direction. Then the next, then the next morning, oh, to the wedding, was a Persian wedding. Persian weddings are a lot of people and a lot of food. They're very exciting people. It's amazing. But there was at least five Chabad rabbis there. There was me, Rabbi Loshak, who was the Chabad rabbi there in Santa Barbara, where the Chassan went to undergrad. Then we had the rabbi from Phoenix, because the college was from Phoenix. Flagstaff was there. <coughs> and then this guy, Zalmi Foglin, where Matt lives now. So five Chabad rabbis. So the guy from Phoenix was leading the service, leading leading the, I mean, that's the service. He was officiating at the wedding. So then Matt says to me last week, he said, I want you to speak at the chuppah. You're going to get, you're going to do the first two brachas, the Shev brachas. I want you to speak at the chuppah for two minutes. I said, two minutes. Huh. Who can talk for two minutes? So then he had, we ain't taking to the chuppah, First, the rabbi from Flagstaff, he, what did he do? He did something under the chuppah, but first he read, he gave, he gave, he gave a, a, a little speech. The fishing rabbi gave a speech. And, you know, broken, you know, in between different things that were going on. And then he calls me up for the Shabrach. So first, he's going to say a few words. <laughs> this is great. The rabbi did not prepare a few words. No, but I'm, I'm like, I didn't know two rabbis are going to be talking before me. So I'm like, oh my golly, what are they going to say? If they take my, my thing, I got to quickly come up with something. So that wedding's not so difficult. So we gave a little talk there. You can show them the pictures so they can see the chuppah. There we go. Yeah, the Kala's right. The Kala's blocked by that corner there, but she's there. Yeah. 
So what I talk, I talk you my, my, my the speech about Ish and Isha. Ish is Aleph Yud Shin, which means man, husband. And Isha is Aleph Shin He, which means woman or, or wife. So each one has a Yud and a He. If you invite me to speak at your wedding, I might say this. <laughs> I might even say, some of you may have heard this on postcast episode 41. Well, it depends when your wedding is. If it's soon, I'll remember it's postcast 41. If it's like, <laughs> I, I think fun. we got a year or two, at least. I don't know, whatever. Hashem runs the world, but I don't know. I can't promise anything. So the Yud and the make Hashem's name. So the Gemara and says, if, you, if, Hashem, if you're married, the Shekhinah dwells amongst you. If not, it's not. And then you take out the Yud and the and left with Eish, which is fire. So you, 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 destroy, you destroy each other. So the point is that the word Eish still remains there. It's Aleph Yud Shin. So the Eish is there. Aleph Shin Hey, the Eish is there too. So fi fire could be destructive or it could be positive passion. So when you have the Yud and the Hey, then the fire is there, but it's guided in a good way. That was pretty much a talk. You know, last week you called me about something, and I said, well, why don't you do this and this about halacha? He said, ah, isn't marriage all about compromise? I said, it's not. I'm going to talk about it on your chuppah. Mm -hmm. So I said, the foundation, in the letter that the Rebbe sends for wedding, says the house should be established on the foundations of Torah and mitzvahs. As they're illuminated with the luminous element of Torah, which is chasidut. So I said, the foundation of a house is the Yurunehe, the Hashem. That there's no compromise. Actually, I said, I was talking last week to a guy who's getting married, and he said to me, Isn't marriage about compromise? So the answer is the foundation is no compromise. That's a Torah mitzvah. The other things, you know, and it says under the chuppah, what color towels you get for the kitchen, whether you have milchiks for supper or fleshiks for supper, that you can compromise on, but you don't compromise on the basics. Of, of Judaism, that is the, that is the, the foundation, like a home. If you, have, if you have a wall that's not so steady is one thing, but foundation that's not strong, the whole thing will collapse. Then the next day I made up to meet a few people. The first, the first point was eight o'clock at Shul on La Brea, Congregation Levi Yitzchak, with Yuval Sorkin. Yuval Sorkin went to Berkeley College of Music. He's in L.A. now. And then Hani said, you know, when you're there in L.A., you should go vi visit Yitzhi Horowitz. Yitzhi Horowitz was the shliach of Tomolka. You know what Tomolka is? Somewhere in L.A., near L.A. And he got ALS, so he's paralyzed. The only thing he can move is his eyes. So he communicates with his eyes. He used to have a computer that but actually, with his eyes, he could spell out words and it would speak. Now they use this, some kind of board or card. It's a big thing, like three feet by two feet with letters on it. I'm not sure exactly, but with his, his eyes still move and he spells out words and he has an aid that's there. And the aid tells you what he said, you know, spells out the word. So this is me and Yitzi, me and Yuval with Rabbi Yitzi. This, he's actually in a building right adjacent to the yeshiva in L.A. And it's like an apartment building for staff. And he has an apartment. You know, this is his room. Right adjacent to his room is a room. It's actually, there's a curtain that separates it. So it's literally, that has um, a shul. 
So the yeshiva boys have a minion there, so and he's there, so he's able to be part of, you know, to hear the davening. And so we spoke a little with Fabrengla, I spoke to him about some stuff that's going on in the parsha and different stuff. And in fact, he he writes essays with his eyes. <clears throat> so if you look on, or and you can hear them on YouTube, oh, there's a, a song they made that's on YouTube. Something about let the light, light, let the light in or something. Pretty amazing guys. He's had it like what at least six, seven years. I don't know how long it's been. It's been a long time. But he writes these 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 Vartaris on the parasha. Can you imagine that? Hmm. With your eyes to have to spell what every word out one at a time. So this week, Mirza Hashem, the email is gonna have the last part from the Rebbe will be an essay written by Yitzhi Horowitz. When you read it, you'll realize that this is written letter by letter by moving his eyes to be able to connect on the computer. Then he was still using the computer to spell out words. And so I told him a little Dvartari on Parsha Yisrei, how, how Yisrei came after Kriyas Yamsuf and Amalek. Why those two things? Because the, the world had to be ready to receive Hashem's Torah. So after Kriyas Yamsuf, the world was ready for God. Then came Amalek, it messed things up. That's why Yisrei came. So he, he instructed his his his, um, his help his his assistant his um, aide to pull up a thing he had written. I don't know how he communicated with him, which number to get, and it was a talk of the Rebbe that he had written it up, and it was on. We and we listened to it on the audio. It's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. If anybody thinks that they are challenged and they have difficulty. Look at this guy. He literally, Le'olenu, can't move a limb. And he manages to learn Torah and to teach Torah to others that come to him. It's really fascinating and very inspiring. Amazing. So that's what we did at 10 o'clock. And then met up with, um, we don't have a picture, David Oheb. Then we met up with Eric Mijakowski with his, with his, um, his wife. And I, Eric mentioned, he said, oh, because I was talking about something, I mentioned the postcast. I said, yes, thank you for the message, message on the postcast. He was the guy that was in uh, in Paris, and they put on film with him. Oh, and then yeah, I met yeah. the guy, a week later, I was in New York, I met the guy that put on film with him in New York. So he was like, oh, I made it to the postcast. I think it'll be, I think it'll be pretty psyched if he sees himself again. One day, people will be vying to get their names mentioned. And then afterwards, that night, I had a fabrengi with my good friend, Omer Binyamin, who's uh, I mean, he went to Berkeley also, Berkeley College of Music, and he's living and working in LA. So that was it, that was it. And then came back home, uneventful. Except I was driving today, and you know, it's cold. It was this and that. And the car in front of me, what was on the license plate? Seven seventy. Exactly. Ah. So that so that was another a sign from Hashem. Just calm down. Yesterday you got your sign. Today you get your sign. So one thing we need to talk about is Chab Shvat, which is the yard side of the Rebbe Chaim Mushka, thirty six years. So I was in Boston when it happened, and she passed away. 
And of course, immediately the next, you know, in the morning, we drove to New York to be there for the, for the funeral. So here's a, my, my angle. You know my angle? My angle was that the, they took her, she, she went to the hospital and she passed away in the hospital. So they brought, they brought her back into the house. Like when you walk into Rebbe's house, the, the, if you've ever been there, it's where you daven, because the Rebbe davened there the whole year. He, he was let, let daven in his chazan. And then there's another back room behind it, which is like, um, I think there's another room there, whatever. And that's where the coffin was. So people were able to walk by the coffin and, you know, say whatever they wanted to say. And then they closed the door and the Rebbe went, oh. So the Levaya started from the house, right? Because the coffin was in the house. So it started in the house. And then it walked down till 770, then into the car and then to the, to, to the, to the cemetery, to the aisle, near the aisle. So, not, so the, and the Rebbe was upstairs. So that's where the, it was Rebbe's house. He was upstairs. But he came down, he came down the stairs, went into that back room for a couple, like two, a minute or two, and then, came, then they opened the door. They brought the coffin out, and the Rebbe followed, and off they went to, to the 770 and then to the, to the burial. So I was outside the house, and my grandfather was there, and he, and he wanted to go into the house. At that point, he was kind of old. So I was helping him walk. I remember, I still remember the guy who's at the door making sure that, you know, not everybody can go into the house, it's small. So I'm walking to my grandfather. He said, oh, you're bringing your grandfather. Like he was shtechling me. You want to get in? So, so I was inside the house. When the river came down the stairs, I always remember this. The river came down the stairs, walked very slowly. And had, his face was very pale and extremely serious. And you can imagine, this is, this is, you know, obviously very serious for the river. That look and, and that look coming down the stairs, I'm walking, I'm watching the rebel come down with that very serious face, almost like in pain and very pale. And that, that really affected me. So I remember that always, that, that, you know, that picture now. You know, sometimes you have the Rebbe smiling, you remember it? Like I told you after Khani and I, after our chup, we stood outside the Rebbe's door and I walked by and smiled. So a picture of a smile on my head. And then there's a picture from that day, not to mix the two together, but that day when the Rebbe came down the stairs, walking slowly down the stairs with that picture, with, with the pale face and very serious. And then after the burial, the Rebbe came back to the house and started sitting Shiva. And all the people, whoever we were able to walk by, those who got into the house from Mincha, were able to walk by and do Nicham um, Rebbe sat down on a, like a box or something, and people were, again, very, very, t- very tough times, you know, to, be, to have to comfort the Rebbe for losing the Rebbetson. So, and then during the week, different people came, and so most of the students just walked by, walked by. If important people came, they would sit down and talk a little bit. You know, you know how difficult it is to talk at a shiva some point you see with the Rebbe, Rebbe? So one, one guy said, Oh, I heard she was a very special woman. And the Rebbe said something, I don't remember the exact words, but the Rebbe said, in my, um, I think in my estimation she was, but he said, only Hashem knows her true, her true greatness. That's a pretty powerful endorsement from the Rebbe. So her name was Chaya Mushka. And so the whole year, the Rebbe would say, there's a passage that says, I have to somebody pass away, 
One that are alive should take it to heart. Meaning to say, you should learn a lesson from this person. So the person's life, the person lives their life, and then what happens afterwards? Where, where, where does the life go? So we know that Chassidus teaches that the soul is connected more to the people in this world after the person passed away than before. Why? Because the person, the person in this world is contained by their body, by his or her body. When a person passes away, what happens? The soul is freed from the body. It can go anywhere. So it can be, more, it can be even more connected in some ways. So we have to we, to learn. So that way, every, every time they would teach something during the year, in her memory would say, look, we can, what we can learn from it. What we can learn from the Rebbe himself, he was a very special person, very intelligent, very kind, very perceptive, but also wanted her privacy. And if you look in the annals of Chabad about the Rebbe of the different Rebbe's, some of them were very involved. Like they went to see with the Rebbe sometimes on his behalf or other. And our Rebbe the Rebbe's wife, they don't want to have any attention from people. So she pretty much stayed away from people. Not stayed away, she just didn't come to 770, for example. She didn't mingle with the people. There were a lot of people that knew the Rebbetzin, and they would go visit her in the house. But that wasn't that wasn't the norm. For normal chassid, maybe didn't even see her even once in their life, or maybe just a few times. She didn't want to, she didn't want to have all the attention. So there was a story, I think it was with Shmuel Lu's daughter, because he was close to their family. And the Rebbe wanted to ask her something or find out how she's doing. So she called the school in Crown Heights and said, could I talk to whatever her name was? And they said, well, we can't call students to the phone, but who's calling? We'll let her know you called. And she says, Mrs. Schneerson from President Street. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine you're on the other end of the phone? Mrs. Schneerson from President Street. Yeah. So one time they bought it, maybe it was the Rebbe's wedding anniversary, Reverend Rebbe's wedding anniversary. They bought like flowers or something to the house and also a note for bracha. So they said, this is for the Rebbetzin, the flowers, and the note is for the Rebbe. Have you ever heard that? He said, no. She also can give a bracha. That was the Rebbetzin. The Rebbe was saying that you don't have to... So there's a lot of different things. We know that when they came to arrest the Friedrich Rebbe, this is before the Rebbe and the Rebbe were married, but the Rebbe was there at the time, and Rebbe Tzachaymushka was in the house, and she knew that the Rebbe was going to be coming over to see them, to visit. So she opened the window and she called out, um, she said, we have guests. She said in Yiddish, we have guests, don't come up, we have guests. And the Rebbe immediately understood what that meant. Like in Soviet in Soviet Russia under Stalin, if you have guests in the middle of the night, it's not necessarily or it's necessarily not someone that you invited. So in that way, she and the Rebbe was able to go somewhere where, to one of the um, secretaries and all the documents with names on it because any any what they wanted with they the they wanted names of other chassidim to help to also you know arrest them all that kind of stuff so they were able to save some lives that way. So she was a very special woman. We need to take, take heed from her. In this week's parsha, women are special. Because it says, when Hashem says to Moshe, so shall you speak to the base Yaakov, and you should tell the children of Israel. So Rashi says, base Yaakov is the woman, women. So when you talk to women, you have to talk to them in a soft tone. And talk to men, you give it to them, you know, give them the letter of the law, lay it on them. So we see the special role that the women play in Judaism. 
And that's what that's in, in, in the Bar Mitzvah, it talks about men and women and how Shabbos is like, is the, is the, is a feminine and the six days we sort of male. And so we, nowadays we prepare for Shabbos, but in truth, Shabbos gives us more blessing than we give it by preparing. So the same thing also, but when Shia comes, we'll see, that a woman of valor is the crown of her husband. Right now, what looks like is the receiver, what we'll use then really actually gives back more than it receives. Like when you put a plant into the ground, you think, oh, I'm using the, the I'm putting a seed in the ground. The seed is what's growing. No, it's a power of, of growth that's in the earth that causes the plant to grow. So now, but now earth is on the lowest level. We don't even respect it. We step on it. But in truth, that's where the great blessing comes from. And so also in, in the world, our interaction in the physical world, we think, ah, if I'm learning Torah is one thing, Mungmitz is one thing, but I'm just interacting with the world in a godly way. Say, so no, just the opposite. It looks lower now, but in truth, that's where the greatest blessing will come from. Transforming the physical world into a godly place, into coming of Mashiach Tzidkenu, and then we'll learn the Torah on its deepest level. So the Torah, the giving of the Torah, which begins this week in Parsha Yisrael, the Ten Commandments, contains in it all, the, all that's going to be taught ever. It'll be revealed when Mashiach comes. Amen. With that, thank you so much for joining us for episode 41 of the postcast with Rabbi Shmuel Posner. We will see you next week. Have a good day. Have a good Shabbos. Oh, it's, it's... Eh, yeah, close enough. <laughs> well,